You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore, and I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Hey, Holly. Hey, Robert. On today's episode, we talk with Shannon Evans about reclaiming motherhood as part of the spiritual life, practical ideas for integrating spiritual practices with often hectic lives, and the path to an empowered feminine spirituality. But first, Holly, how are you today? I am doing well. How are you doing, Robert? I'm good. It's a busy week, but uh, we're doing this right in the middle. I, we couldn't be doing this more in the middle of the week. I feel like it's Wednesday and it's like right at lunchtime. Uh, it's like yep. 12 for you and one for me. So we're like smack in the middle of the week, which is cool. Normally we do it towards the end of the week. So mm-hmm. uh, in, right in the midst of busyness, maybe uh, more so than than usually we're towards the end of busyness or yeah. you know, whatever you want to call Fridays with, with kids at home anyway. Um, but yeah, so busy week, lots of fun things, good things, and uh, yeah, just excited to be here talking to you. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, I like, I mean, I know we just kind of record these intros when we're able to find some wiggle room each week, and again, usually we try to do them towards the end of the week, but this week is a bit of a busy week for both of us, I think. I know I've got, uh, I know this episode will come out after, you know, next week, well, what whatever when this comes out right, um, yeah. the friday before <laughs> the friday before i'm um i have this this presentation with the Gil taylor behavioral health symposium and yeah. so i'm like getting ready for that and we're like in the thick of you know launching this grant that my research team has recently received and we're kind of getting that onboarded um I'm kind of in the the middle of some of the like these last little back and forths about um, the book and some little tiny tweaks at this point uh, before it goes out to endorsers. So like, there's just a few things that are, you yeah. know, just hopping around. So yeah, but it's good. I it's actually, good. I don't know if you know this, maybe I'll just, I'll surprise you with something about your own book, oh, but oh, I actually, oh. uh, in my email, like an hour ago, got the manuscript oh for an endorsement. So I have it. I have I have an email with here's the PDF right here. I'm scrolling through. Oh my gosh. The PDF with your manuscript. So Oh my gosh, go. friend. Oh boy. Um that is so exciting and that is news to me. So thank you for sharing that news while we were recording. <laughs> yeah, this is the breaking news um, segment of the show. So <laughs> That's amazing. No, my I can feel like my palms are sweaty. My stomach is in knots right now. I'm really excited though that that you have it and now I'm looking at my list of endorsers that I have on this whiteboard beside me, and I'm maybe just like partially freaking out a little bit, but it's okay. It's <laughs> yeah. good. This is yeah, good. It's good. That's People so exciting. Are getting to read your your great words that you've been working on for a long time, and uh, I I've read portions of this previously, but I'm excited mm-hmm. to to poke through and make sure that uh, I'm willing to endorse you now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, friend. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, yeah. and if anyway. you change your mind, that's great. CXMH will be looking for a new co host, and you know, no, yeah. I'm just playing. Send, ap- send applications, uh, <laughs> listeners. Come on. Um, no, no, well, before, before we get to the, the interview, I did want to ask you, aside from what I just shared, because I, I forgot that, I mean, I didn't know I was going to do that when, when I thought of the question, right? But what is one thing that was maybe surprising to you uh, this week, kind of during a, a uh, 
it's like a loose segue, but right, we talk yeah. with Shannon somewhat about kind of the the day to day, kind of hectic or mundane type things, and kind of reclaiming those four places of spirituality and wonder and things like that. Right. So I'm curious if anything kind of surprised you that you weren't expecting this week throughout kind of the normal day to day type stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you for that question. You know, total surprise. But no, this this week I can't honestly I can't remember if we talk about it in. Like if it's in the recorded conversation or if this was something that was brought up, I think it was after the episode actually that we made the link. Mm. But during the conversation that we had with Shannon this week, I learned that her mom used to work in the Garland School Social Work that I work at. Um, So she knew Diana Garland. She knew um, Helen or she's friends with uh, Helen Harris and Preston Dyer and um, so many of the other faculty and, and staff who have been here for so long. Um, Shannon, Shannon's mom worked at the place that I work. Like that is just like blew my mind. Um, when we made that link. So totally caught me off guard and surprised me. Yeah. And it's been fun, like connecting with some other folks within the school social work and like John Singletary was like, Oh, I moved into her office. Like right, you know, right as she was leaving, I was coming in and I moved into her office. And then, you know, knowing that in our admissions office, they actually have a big like teddy bear that they bring around to recruitment events. And the teddy bear's name is O'Brien named after Shannon's mom. And so it just was wild. Um, it just was so, so yeah. wild to to make that lake. So anyways, what yeah. about you? What surprising thing happened this week for you? Yeah. So I actually just sent you a picture. So, um, so I, over the past, you know, however long I like totally revamped, uh, the website for the, the counseling agency that I worked at. Um, and, uh, my boss, Alex, who Alex Thompson, she, we had her on the show last season. Um, she had sent me a text like, Hey, thank you so much. Look, keep an eye out in the mail. I've sent you a little something as like a, a thank you. And I, I thought, okay, whatever, you know, maybe a little gift card or oh something, but no big deal. Uh-huh. Um, it is a a pillow with the feelings wheel on it on both sides. It's just Woo-hoo! like this big, this big pillow with feelings wheel. So now it's, it's sitting over here. Um, and it, it very much surprised me and kind of cracked me up because I thought, well, that is not at all. I mean, it's like a decent size, you know, throw pillow. Um, and mm-hmm. that's not when she said, um, you know, a little something is is coming as a thank you. I, you could have given me a hundred guesses, and none of them would have been a pillow with the feelings wheel. <laughs> with the but feelings I, wheel, it's very funny. Yeah, so uh, it's very funny. Awesome. So shout out to uh, Alex for that. Oh my gosh, I love that. I've actually I've seen that before, and to be honest, like I've wanted one of those like for our house so that we can like you know kind of talk with kids, right? Would mm-hmm, like to talk with mm-hmm. Callie and Oliver about the different emotions. But so I'm kind of, I mean, part of me wants to like receive this as a nudge to finally go back over to Etsy and get the pillow. But I love that Alex sent that to you. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, that's uh, awesome. So it's fun. Go Alex. I know. So this week, like I mentioned, we talk with Shannon Evans um, about a whole bunch of things, but she's the author of the new book, Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to an Empowered Feminine Spirituality. And I'm excited to have our listeners hear it and and learn from Shannon. It's awesome. All right. Enjoy, y'all. Today, we have Shannon Evans on. Shannon is a writer in the contemplative Catholic tradition and is the author of the new release, Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to an Empowered Feminine Spirituality. 
She is a monthly columnist for Jesuits.org, and her work has also appeared in America, G's, and U.S. Catholic magazines. Shannon lives in central Iowa with her husband and five children, and we are so excited to have her on the show today. How are you doing, Shannon? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Um, Is there anything else that you want to share to tell our audience any more about you? Oh, well, where to start? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, I, I am... Most I feel like mostly a Texan and Holly. We didn't get a chance to connect, but I went to Baylor oh. and you worked oh, no at Baylor. No way, you yes. did. Yes. <gasps> what? Yes. I didn't realize that. I saw that we had a lot of mutual connections. Oh, really? Um, in the Baylor space, yeah. But I didn't realize that. So when yes. did you? Do you mind I, if I ask when you? No, were here? I graduated in 05. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So, oh, I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Nope, 06. <laughs> that's awesome. That's okay. It all runs together. Who knows? Yeah, it's hard to remember these things. It yeah. does. You're good. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, yes. And like you said, I have five kids. Uh, my oldest, my first child was adopted. And then I have four biological. And we live in Ames, Iowa. Um, my husband is a spiritual director. And we kind of, yeah, we've been here for six years and kind of becoming Midwesterners slowly. So it's nice. We're enjoying the seasons after living in Texas. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) So before we dive into talking about rewilding motherhood, I would love to hear the backstory behind this book. Like what kind of led you to write it? What inspired you to write it? What was the process like of writing it? Um, just, I guess, like all of that, unpack mm-hmm. to the degree to which you feel comfortable. Okay, sure. Yeah, I, um, you know, like like many writers, I, I started blogging years ago, and I was very kind of adamant that I was not a mommy blogger, you know, like, so I wrote about some of my motherhood, <laughs> but I, it was very important to me that I not be seen as someone who is just a mommy or writes to only mothers. And I wanted to write about justice issues and things that were important to me. But along the way, I, you know, as I started kind of doing a little more inner work, I realized, like, I think that's a reaction against something and not really coming from a healthy place, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, for me, it was like really realized how I had internalized these, this messaging that motherhood was somehow not worthy of like a contemplative inquiry or an artistic inquiry mm-hmm. or um, to be taken seriously as a spiritual path. And, it, you know, I had sort of just kind of internalized this idea that it's, that it's cutesy and, and shallow and, you know, all about whatever crafts and mm-hmm. like this demure idea of prayer that I couldn't relate to. And anyway, so once I kind of really started doing a lot of kind of my own inner work through spiritual direction and counseling, I really became more and more intrigued by the way that motherhood is sort of separated from contemplative spirituality. And you really Mm. don't see that intersect very much. Um, And so I was reading, you know, a lot of books that, um, you know, ranged from saints and mystics to more modern, contemporary, uh, like feminine spirituality. And I was loving 
what I was finding, but I wasn't finding anything that integrated this into motherhood. And for me and for a lot of women, motherhood is a huge part of our life. And so I felt like there has to be a way to organize a book in a way that speaks to this experience, but also takes women seriously and, and, in our spiritual lives seriously, and that these things don't mm-hmm. have to be separate. And I think so often it's true for myself. And I think for, for women in general, we kind of see motherhood as much as we love it and we love our children, we kind of approach it as something that something to overcome in order to have a spiritual life or something that makes it harder to have a meaningful um, life of prayer or meaningful connection with God. We sort of have to work our way around our motherhood. And so my hope with this book was to kind of outline a path within the ins and outs of the demands of motherhood that was actually its own spiritual path and not something that we have to step away from in order to, uh, to grow spiritually. Gosh, that's so good. Yeah. Oh, that's so, so good. Yeah, that's, I love that idea because I think, you know, obviously I'm not a mom. Um, I, I ha- I'm a dad, right? But I think for many of us, we would kind of cognitively agree that like, no, parenting and family life is something that God is working in and throughout and, and that helps shape us. But then when it kind of gets down to the, the practicality, like the experience of it, sometimes it's like, okay, I'm just doing this thing. And then by the time I finish that, you know, you get the kids to bed and then you're like, well, I'm too tired for yeah. any kind of like quote unquote, real spiritual stuff, right? Like that idea of spirituality being you have to have a quiet time and you have to have like, you know, light a candle and like sit by yourself and whatever, like, and and nothing's wrong with all that. But if that's kind of where we're in practice saying, this is where spirituality happens for me, then you have kids and that, I mean, I don't know about y'all's experience, but like quiet time doesn't exist in my house with like (laughs) children, right? So like, if, if that's where we kind of put it. So it makes sense for kind of to say, okay, I think we all would theoretically agree with that, but we're not maybe like the, our, our lived experience of it doesn't seem to align with that. So how do we, how do we make that happen? Yeah. 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 That's good. That's good, Robert. I think I, I appreciate how you brought in, you know, the perspective of as a dad, but certainly Shannon, so much of what you are saying uh, resonates with my experience as a mom and so much of what you wrote about resonates with that as well. I do want to elevate one thing that you just mentioned in your response before. You talked about contemplative spirituality, and we've had we've had a number of episodes in previous seasons where folks talk about this, but I would love to hear you unpack that phrase a little bit um, for listeners who may not they may not have come across that before around what is contemplative spirituality. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. I used to think that it was sitting like, like someone who enjoyed sitting in silence and thinking for a lot, you know, and, and that's, that could be mm-hmm. part of it. That's great. But um, really what I've come to understand is that it's, it's a more holistic vision for finding God. And so I think there's a, a certain amount of like searching and expectation to, to find God in all things, to find God in every element of not just daily life, but also creation and human interconnection and sort of seeing the way that all things are connected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And once you Which, kind of, yeah. 
I was just going to say, and we're recording this on the day to honor St. Francis of Assisi, which dovetails beautifully with what you had just said around the connection and the sacred and everything. But anyways, I just want to give that to that. Yeah, it's a perfect day to be having this conversation Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. And so it's it's kind of moving up a posture of inviting God to break out of the walls and the boxes, you know, that we've kind of erected. So it's, it's been a really, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been a, it's been a path of growth and learning for me. It's not something, it's not a word that I was familiar with, you know, five years ago, but it's something that I really embraced as part of my own spiritual growth. Yeah, no, that's good. And and I appreciate how you um, explained it, but also again, like, I feel like this is such a foundation, like understanding this is such a foundation to your book and you explain it in the book, um, you know, kind of through this journey that you unpack and, and describe. And so I'd love to kind of walk through the book, I guess, like understanding this term now, like kind of walk through a little bit about this book and in, in general. Um, so overarching, you have these two parts. You have the first being growing inward and the second being flowing outward, which is just beautiful. And yeah. <laughs> the chapters within each are such a, a gorgeous guide for mothers and nodding back to what Robert was mentioning, I think for parents in general. Um, but you do really explicitly talk about some of the unique challenges and opportunities that mothers have in this book. So I'd love to just kind of, I guess, go through and, and walk through the book and maybe talk through, you know, some some practical ways that that mothers um, or women in general or parents um, can kind of practice some of these, what's in these chapters. I mean, you've got within each chapter, you have these going deeper practices, which, you know, are wonderful ways to kind of actually embody and live into what you write about. But anyways, I'm talking too much. I really want to shift over (laughs) and like give you space to kind of walk through some of these chapters. And I have some questions within each, but I'd love for you to to just to whatever degree you feel comfortable, kind of walk us through these chapters. Um, And we'll start with part one focused on growing inward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I you know, the, the book kind of organized itself in those sections. I didn't set out intentionally. Um, doing the inward and outward, like organizational style, but it it happened, and I only had to move around a few of them, and I realized I was sort of subconsciously doing it without even realizing mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. So the book starts talking about identity and forging an identity that is beyond our role as mother, because I think there's something really convenient about kind of slipping into motherhood as an identity from the moment you have your first child. It's like, oh, now people, people kind of like have this specific way of relating to you, you know, now you fit in a certain place Mm -hmm. in society. Um, And, you know, our children are such an important part of our lives. And, and when at the very beginning, you know, whether they're coming to us, um, you know, physically or in a, you know, adoption or foster or step parenting capacity, you know, it, it is such a sudden and abrupt change that it's very natural for it to, to kind yeah. of overtake us for a bit, you know? And I think that that's, that's something really good and holy about that. It can just be hard to find your way 
back out of it to say like, oh, who am I as a woman separate from my my role as a mother, separate from my wo- my role as a wife? And that can be something that we really lose sight of for years, depending on the depending on the woman and, and her own circumstances or her own personality. So I wanted to start the book that way and kind of ground it in this foundational invitation to return to the woman within the mother, um, mm. the, the, the woman that you are when every other identity or role is is, you know, stripped away for a second. Who yeah. are you when you're alone with yourself? And that felt like like an absolutely pivotal way to begin this this book. And then from there, we talk about boundaries, which is um, really interconnected to, you know, one's own identity as being able to set those boundaries. And so how to um, how to recognize the boundaries that we need that maybe we're missing, why it's important, um, why it's important to like kind of going back to that identity chapter, the the boundaries offer us a chance to know ourselves so that we can give in love and in generosity and not out of resentment and not feeling stuck. That's so good. I actually was going to ask you, like, how do boundaries help us thrive? But you just answered it right there. (laughs) Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think when we don't have boundaries, then we feel we don't have agency. And I think when a human being doesn't have agency over their bodies or their life or their choices, we become really angry and resentful and bitter, whether or not we show it or whether we just keep it stuffed in either way, Mm -hmm. it's really unhealthy and it's not God's best for our life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. What about, let's move to the next one, holding tension. Mm. That was actually the first chapter of the book that I wrote. Um, and I knew that it wouldn't be like the first chapter, but it I, apparently mm-hmm. it was what I needed what I needed to say to myself first um, because that has been such a challenge for me. I am um, I'm an Enneagram nine, and so I really don't oh. like tension. <laughs> oh. I, I like peace. Yes. Yeah. And you're really good at cultivating that piece for a lot of other folks. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm. I, you know, it's, there's so many strengths about it. And I really, um, I really appreciate being able to kind of carry with me an inner peace, but also invite other people to a, a place of peace too. But the downside of that is I tend to really reject anything that feels tense and, um, and as I explored yeah. that about myself, I, I began noticing how it really is true, uh, obviously of all humans, but but especially of women and mothers, and of um, because there is such a, I think that there is a lot of implied expectation on women to hold families together, and I mean when I look at. Uh, racially marginalized women, that seems exponentially more true. You know, for for mm-hmm. Black and Latina women, my friends say there there is a lot of that expectation. But even for me as a white middle class woman, I find you know I take on that role, and um, and so it becomes really difficult to hold this tension of my own desires, my own needs my own boundaries with the needs of my family. And I think that's like a really, 
I mean, in so many conversations surrounding motherhood, that is, that is the thing, you know, working mothers and balancing home life. Um, But also in that chapter, you know, I talk about the reality of the tension between like simply within ourselves that maybe don't have anything to do with others. So, you know, tension about, you know, growing and changing beliefs uh, about God or about the world, about politics, whatever, you know, we're, we're constantly changing, but it can be really uncomfortable. And so, you know, it's easier sometimes to just ignore, 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 rather than mm-hmm. inviting or accepting the invitation from God to, to sit in that place of discomfort, because it's also the place of honesty. And when we're honest with ourselves, we're honest before God, that is when growth happens, which ultimately is what we want, but, but what we tend to run from. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I love the idea that you're talking about that two things can be true at the same time. Right. And so for yeah. us, it feels like tension because we're used to kind of like one thing or the other, but uh, we talked, you know, we had a conversation, uh, last season, season, I don't remember, a while back with Dr. Linda Buchanan about ambivalence. And she talked a lot about honoring both parts of yourself in in those kind of moments where you're wanting two things. And so to be able to say, you know, for example, you you write about, you know, the desire for autonomy and the desire to be available for our kids, right? Some people might say, okay, I really like, I need my own alone time. And I want to, with my downtime, hang out with my kids and be really intentional and whatnot, right? And those things can both be true. And instead of kind of squishing one and saying, okay, well, this is the one that's that I should do, should being in pretty massive air quotes, you know, saying, okay, it, it's okay that both of these are true. How can I kind of honor both of those is the more honest place like you're talking about and the more kind of whole version of, of yourself. Yes, I love that. And and that feels so true of God, you know, that God is is like non-duality and humans are or like very binary, very very dualistic of like tell us <laughs> one thing or another has to be true yeah. and and to be able to sit with that mystery of where two things actually can be true at the same time. You're exactly right. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, and even I mean you had it even down to some super practical examples like mm-hmm. that tension of like being frustrated about something and like I want to go to Target and like shop around in the dollar section and like a ways to avoid that tension even within us. I mean, it's, um, it's so practical and accessible and relatable for, for many of us, I think. So it's really good. 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 I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So, so then you move us into reclaiming solitude and I love this because I Mm. love solitude, like the practice of solitude and reading others' interpretations and practice of it. And I had a lot of underlines and scribbles in this chapter, but I'd love for you to talk about that. And then there's even one section where you talk about learning to listen. So so walk us through this one too. Yeah. Yeah. For, um, I am a, I'm an introvert, like extreme. I, I really enjoy people, but like, I will always choose to just be alone if I can, mm-hmm. and which makes having five kids challenging. Right. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. I actually like in college, I was like, I'm going to have 10 kids. And I always joke, I made it oh halfway before I threw in the towel. <laughs> um, but I, yeah. So for me, it has been really important to 
explore ways to find solitude in the midst of chaos, if that makes sense. Solitude as like you're describing as a spiritual practice, as you know, the monastics understand it to be uh, a, you know, communion with God and self. And even in the midst of craziness, even if my children are physically in the room, like how can I, um, and you know, not every minute of every day is going to be this this communion with God himself. I mean, but, but how can I find that place to return to when, when I need it, you know? And also, I, you know, I wanted to also include the experience that a lot of mothers feel really lonely and really isolated, especially when children are young. And so wanted to pose the idea that that could be an invitation to, to learning to listen to yourself and knowing yourself, because I, I believe really passionately that that is how we know God, you know, when we kind of can still ourselves and find, you know, there's kind of our, the chaotic part of ourselves that, that um, is sort of squirrely and unreliable, but, <laughs> but when we could really still ourselves in the deepest part of ourselves and, and mm-hmm. listen to the God within, like, I think that that can be trusted. So, yeah, I, I talk about learning to listen to your own voice and learning to honor that voice. And, and I think um, some, of the, some of the things that I lay out are, are paying attention to what makes you cry, paying attention to the books that seem to find you. Why are they finding you in that moment? You know, like um, I think I, I kind of mm-hmm. mentioned, I really believe books have like this mystical quality where they just seem to cross our path when, when we're ready for them. And, and we, you know, it's yes. Um, yes. And so like being open to seeing things that way and, you know, asking questions about the things that we're, that we're drawn to asking questions about the things that are kind of repulsing us just listening. I mean, I even say, you know, listening when we're making love with our partner, like listening to ourselves, like honoring mm. every part of ourselves and not, not running from it. But yeah, I think there is a really unique opportunity, especially when your kids are small. And this book is for for mothers of all ages and stages. I mean, I was I was definitely even thinking of empty nesters quite a bit actually when I was writing this book. Yeah, um, I could see that for sure. Yeah. Cause I think it's in a lot of ways, it's sort of like another rite of passage, you know, mm-hmm. um, I haven't experienced it, but, but from what I observe, it seems like it's, it's almost, um, it's almost a rebirthing of a woman again, just as when she becomes a mother for the first time. So yeah. Anyway, that's, that's the reclaiming mm. solitude chapter. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. I love the next bit you talk about following anger and it always, my, I always like, Ooh, interesting. Someone's talking about like the, the usefulness of emotions that we tend to clump into the bad or unpleasant side. Right. And so can you tell us some about that? Because you even write about how moms and women in general, right, are kind of socialized away from showing anger as opposed to maybe men are socialized like only towards anger, right? Um, but the idea that, that you know, you even write like mothers especially are expected to be likable, patient, and calm at nearly all times, right? When you picture like a perfect mom or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you tell us some about anger, the the usefulness of anger, kind of reclaiming like anger as a useful, a useful tool and messenger? Yes, yeah, messenger, I love that. I observed really quickly, 
when I became a mother and, and my peers became mothers sort of, you know, at the same time, I learned really quickly, like, oh, yes, there is a there is a social and I think I there is a social um, expectation of what a mother is. And if you transgress that in public, it is humiliating and and you will be judged. You know, if you get angry with your child in the grocery mm. store, nobody mm. is going to sympathize with you. They might be annoyed, equally annoyed with your child. <laughs> but like you, you know, it is it is a difficult thing to to be expected to be at peace at all times. Yeah. And I think that we kind of you know, we all know like, oh, well, that's humanly impossible. Surely, you know, we know that mothers get angry, but we don't really want to hear about it. We don't want to see it. And we want them to feel guilty about it, <laughs> you know? And, and I think mothers do. We, um, you know, every, every mom friend I have has expressed at some point or another feeling guilty for, you know, yelling at her child or feeling guilty for losing her temper, you know, with X, Y, and Z. and I think, you know, in religious spaces, it really is seen as a sin. And certainly what we do mm-hmm. with anger can be sinful. But I think, I think it's, it is so important to ask and ask and ask and ask questions about why the anger is there in the first place. Mm-hmm. And like, um, like Robert said, let it be a messenger. And so in that chapter, I'm really, um, I'm really like, calling us to be honest about our anger, to not relabel it frustration or sadness um, or disappointment, Mm -hmm. but call it what it is, you know, call it anger and trace it to ask questions about it, be curious about it because it's information for us. It's not bad or good in in and of itself. It's just information. And so we trace it back to the things that we're angry about are, are usually needs or wounds that have not been addressed that are desperately trying to get our attention. And, um, and then at that point, you know, then we have, we have action that we can take. We have agency in the trajectory of our lives. We can choose to implement the boundaries that we need to have our needs met. We can seek out the counseling or the help that we need to deal with the grief that we're carrying um, whatever it is, like then it can move us to action. But if we ignore it, if we deny it, if we um, just quickly repent of it and feel shamed about it, those things don't lead to any change and they don't lead to any wholeness. And the only way to find wholeness is to ask questions about the anger and to follow it to what it's trying to point to. Gosh, it's so good. It's so, yeah. so good. It's so it's so important to name and the ways in which you name it in this chapter. I mean, maybe this was the one actually that I had more underlining and stars in. Um, but I will say my husband and I just last night, we like I brought this chapter in conversation with him and talking about the ways that the messaging around anger that women receive versus, you know, getting curious about what is the messaging that he has heard. Yeah. Um, and like being in conversation about that last night. And then even this morning we went on a walk and like continued some of this conversation. And he actually identifies as a nine as well. Mm. So um so I know nines dance with anger is a yeah. unique one. Um <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. It I always come it always brings to mind our friend Mark Allen Shelsky, who we had on the show forever ago. He in his book about emotions talked about emotions as kind of like your your um your dashboard lights, you know, mm-hmm. like this thing pops up and it, it's telling you there's something deeper, right? Your check engine light goes on. You don't necessarily know. That doesn't mean, okay, I know exactly what's happening. That means pop the hood, look underneath and figure out because there's a bunch of different things down there and it's pointing you, like inviting you into a deeper exploration. And that That's always, perfect. like that always, that sticks in my mind all the time of like emotions are giving you messages. They're, they're, they're indicating something to you. Yes. I love that analogy. That's perfect. That's good. I'm glad you brought that up, Robert. Well, I want to be I do want to be mindful of of your time and I do want to make sure that we can at least touch on part 2. So, so if it's okay, I'd love to just share like a few things that really jumped out for me in the last few chapters of part 1. Is that yeah, okay? Absolutely. So, in the next chapter, you talked about staying curious and gosh, your attention to other faith traditions and the ways in which we can learn from other faith traditions. And even you even had this quote in there about how God is vast and no single tradition can contain the fullness of a limitless thing. We need each other's perspectives. And the ways that you kind of guide the reader to contemplate just learning about other faith traditions and respecting, you know, in a respectful way, I just really love that. But then also the curiosity that was like threaded in that chapter mm. was just gorgeous. And then and then you move into talking about cultivating patience. Um, there's a slow and steady section in that oh, that I am just going to nod to our listeners to maybe focus a little bit on that one. Um, there, and a lot of people have said that was their favorite part really? of the whole book. Yeah. Okay. Then maybe maybe I'll let you you say say a couple things about that one oh, before. Oh. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, um, please, please. Yeah, I mean, you know that it was really a surprise to me as as I was writing that a a chapter on patience took a turn into um, the creative life, and I but I think you know my, what I was exploring was was how um, we tend to. Uh, categorize patients as, you know, something that we need more of in parenting. You know, every parent, <laughs> every parent needs more patience, wants more patience. Um, but mm-hmm. but we don't really spend a lot of time considering the ways that um, that we can grow in patience in every other area of our life or as a citizen of the world, um, as a consumer, you know, all of these um, these ways. But then I kind of veered off into as a creator, as someone, whether you're creating art, whether you're an entrepreneur, um, whether you're, you know, creating a, um, you know, uh, initiative for for justice in your community, whatever it is, if you are a mother, I guarantee you do not have as much time as you wish you had <laughs> to to mm-hmm. do this to do this <laughs> creative work, yes. and so. Um, so exploring why that could actually be a good thing. Why, um, why could the requirement to have patience with our creativity, our creative offerings, why that might actually be better than having all the time in the world, um, which is what we think we need and what we think we want, 
So when we are forced to have patience with our creative endeavors, when that is the last thing we want, we want to just zoom in and finish them, then it forces us to let our real life, to let um, our children and their wisdom, to let the wisdom of day-to-day life seep into our work. And it it informs it, it changes it and shapes it. And if we're able to accept that, accept that, um, that patience with our work, that, you know, our creative work, our creative expressions, if we can accept that, that bringing patience into that practice actually makes it better, then we can find, um, more peace in, in what we're, um, and what we're creating, but also the creation itself gets better. I, you know, when, when it's Mm. made real, when it's informed by the flesh and blood of being human and day in and day out, we bring all of that, you know, we don't just bring our isolated selves to our creativity. And, you know, I have to point out, there have been a few individuals through the course of history that have been isolated and have managed to create wonderful things. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I think that that equally wonderful, um, if not, I would argue, more sacred is to bring in everything that it means to be human, everything that it means to be in a family system and, and bring that all of it into our work, into our creativity and let that shape what the final outcome is. Gosh, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah, that that yeah, that's really good. <laughs> I'm gonna sit with that for a second. <laughs> yeah. I need the I need the frequent mm. reminders. Yes, absolutely. I mean, yeah. So again, listeners, please pick up this book. That section that you talk through, it's just it's just so stunning. Well, the last so the last chapter in part one is on heating intuition. And that I Oh, gosh. I wish we had like five hours to talk about all this, but I know that we don't. I will tell you that there's one part in this chapter where um, you talk about the tattoo that you had gotten on your arm of Mary and Eve, and um, we can drop a um, a link to the the photo or the image Mm -hmm. um, that I know that you're referring to. But if it's okay with you, if you don't mind, there's one little part that I really want to read from this section that when I read it, it just brought tears to my eyes. Oh, absolutely. It's so beautiful. Okay. So you're talking about your tattoo. You're explaining the image. Um, you, You talk about how There's Mary and Eve. Mary is pressing Eve's hand atop her own um, pregnant belly and reaching out with her free hand to caress Eve's face in a gesture of tenderness. Eve clutching an apple close to her chest looks despairing. And then below there's a snake um, that's wound around Eve's leg, Um, but Mary's foot rests atop its head. So, So you're describing the image. And then a little bit further down, you talk about how much you love this tattoo And you say, I'll be the first to say that cultivating a devotion to Mary has been transformational for me, yet I don't think this image is only about her. On a mystical level, I believe it's also about the two women within me, the sinner and the redeemer, the captive and the empowered, the one who internalizes shame and the one who declares there is no need, the one who can't let go and the one who invites her into freedom. Eve reminds me in into the, I'm sorry, Eve reminds me to have compassion on myself. Mary reminds me that I have agency. 
Oh, sister. Mm. That description of that image is incredible. You know, it, it was, that was, I often say that writing is how I understand the world. And so for me, uh-huh. writing is prayer. And I, I literally was understanding and unpacking that as I wrote those words. <laughs> it had never oh, occurred to gosh. me before I was writing that page. And I was like, yes, that is, that's it. That is the mystery of what, what these two women represent, you know, within the Christian tradition. I mean, it's one of the things, obviously, you know, there's more than that, but like in an archetypal way, it's just so, it's so important for women to have images that, that we can identify with in, in Mm -hmm. sacred spaces. And yeah, that just was really, um, I love that that you chose that because that was one of the times in the book that I was like, I just learned something new about myself. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. And I totally resonate with that sense of, you know, as you're writing, um, there are things that you're like, where did this come from? Yeah. And I finally understand this area that, yeah, I just, I really understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, that really, that really, really jumped out to me, that part. And I really appreciated you wrapping words around that. Um, in the way that you did. So that's really good. Mm. Well, I know I, I do want to be sensitive um, to to time. I know that, you know, in the next section, you talk about flowing outward. And I think I will leave that for our listeners. That can be our nudge for them to go pick up the book and yeah. read a little bit more about the flowing outward piece. But I would, I would love to hear, I think, so I have I have two other questions. Maybe Robert can ask one of them. But um, but the first one I do want to ask is, you know, a lot of our audience does include faith leaders and mental health care providers. We also have folks who are navigating mental health struggles or who love someone who is. But especially since the focus of this book is on motherhood, I would love to hear how is it that you think that faith leaders and mental health care providers specifically, what are some ways in which they may be able to better walk alongside mothers, you know, in light of what you teach us in this book? Yeah, I think speaking specifically to faith leaders, I would really caution male faith leaders from, from really talking that much about motherhood at all. Um, from like a leadership perspective, I think always um, inviting women to to share their own experience, inviting women to use their own voice, um, to amplify the voices of women since motherhood. I mean, even, even male leaders who are parents have not experienced motherhood. And it can be really easy to, to make generalizations or to kind of glorify, like in, in the book, I really critique this this uh, tendency among male faith leaders to kind of glorify the sacrifice of mothers. And they think that they're Mm. being really honoring, but what happens is that women really internalize, Oh, that's how, that's what makes me valuable. And so Mm. the the result of that Mm. is, you know, the logical conclusion is the, the less of myself there is, the more I sacrifice, then the, the more value I have to God and to my faith community, which is obviously not the message that anybody wants to send. So um, I think we need more, more of that, more amplification of women's voices, of mothers' voices, and also creating space 
for, for us to tell the truth without um, mm-hmm. worrying about what the consequences of that will be. Um, so whether that's, you know, creating groups where women can, can speak freely and can tell male faith leaders what their experience is like or exactly how they feel. I mean, I think that sounds like a really healthy thing um, or whatever way works for, for a specific congregation or a, a specific group. But I think it's just really critical um, for the mental health of mothers to be able to be honest with no repercussions of no, no fear of what the consequence of their honesty is going to be. Gosh, that is so good, man. Yeah, that's good. I love that. Well, one question that we we love to ask people when they come on, right? So you obviously put a ton into writing this book and even writing before that and all the good work you do. So uh, if we could ask, right, what's your what's your hope for this book and your work as a whole? Hmm. Yeah, my hope for this book is that every woman who needs it will find it. <laughs> um, it's not for every person, you know, it's not for every mother but it is for many. And so I just, for the women who are feeling stuck or for the women who are feeling spiritually dry or the the women who are seeking permission to tell the truth um, or to trust themselves, this this is a book for them. Um, And so that's my hope is that it would really uh, be kind of like the big sister that we all need on the journey. And for my writing in general, yeah, I think I, um, lately I have been focused more on women. Um, but I think in general with my writing, the, the overarching theme is, is to kind of return us to the mystery of God and being able to, to separate ourselves from frankly, the boredom of thinking we know everything Mm. (laughs) and, and being okay with, with getting a little uncomfortable about the limitlessness of God and through that being willing to be changed in a lot of ways too. Oh, that's so good, Shannon. Gosh. Well, listeners, you can connect with Shannon at Shannon K, the letter K Evans.com or on Instagram at Shannon, the letter K and then Evans or on Twitter at Shannon K, spelled out K-A-Y, Evans. We'll have the links to those in the show notes. Um, and you can also order her her new book, Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to an Empowered Feminine Spirituality, wherever you buy your books. You can connect with Robert at robert-vore.com or on any social media at Robert Vore. Or you can connect with me at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. Shannon, thank you so much for joining us today yeah. for this conversation. This has just been a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Um, no, I don't. I just want to say thank you so much for having me. And um, it was really a pleasure to meet both of you, Holly and Robert. And thank you for a rich conversation and for loving the book. That's really fun. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH podcast at gmail.com.